what a lot of people heard about was the 7500 and it feels very familiar to maybe the new EV tax incentives we had in the past, but it's totally different. And then we have this new 4000, but there are also requirements here as well. And it's really important to understand these. This is Middle Tennessee Electric's Plugged In Podcast. This podcast focuses on the world of electric vehicles. It is for all EV enthusiasts, whether you are an early adopter and have been driving an EV for years, or you're just starting your research, this podcast is for you. Hello, I'm Brandon Wagner. And I'm Amy Byers, and welcome to Middle Tennessee Electric's Plugged In Podcast. Today, Brandon and I will be talking with Terry Vishwanath from CoBank about tax credits for electric vehicles. Terry is the lead economist in CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Division, where she focuses on the energy industry, including the electrical distribution, generation, and transmission sectors. Welcome, Terry. Um, before we get started on the questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your roles and responsibilities at CoBank, and the relationship that CoBank has with utilities around the country? Yeah, so Brandon and, and Amy, thanks so much for having me on your program. Really excited to be part of it. So I'm the energy economist from CoBank, and CoBank is the largest bank in the farm credit system. So we're actually the largest lender to rural and agricultural communities. And as part of that mandate, we work very closely with electric distribution co-ops, G&Ts, and other infrastructure players that really are an important part of those communities. And um, yeah, so looking forward to to having the discussion, uh, and especially with with uh, EV enthusiasts. So let's go ahead. Well, I know the topic of of tax credits is it's ever evolving and ever changing every year, and so it, and really kind of confusing. I think once you feel like you understand it, then something new comes along. So um, we're we're very fortunate to have you on here to kind of help guide us through this little minefield, so to speak. So our first question is, um, last year there was some legislation that was passed that impacted the federal tax credits for the purchase of an EV. It seems like it allowed more vehicles to qualify, but along with that, there seems to be some added complexities. Can you give us a brief rundown of what has changed? Yeah, let's navigate that. So first, we are seeing the largest federal infusion in infrastructure that we have seen in you know in a lifetime. So it's a very important time. And the particular legislation you're talking about is the Inflation Reduction Act. Now that law was signed um, August 16th and has really fundamentally changed how we think about electric vehicle ownership. So as a starting point, you know it's basically when we think about your members and consumers, it breaks down to three different tax incentives and two different programs for appliance rebates. So the three tax incentives are going to be the residential clean energy tax credit that modifies an um, IRS code uh, 25D, the energy efficient home improvement tax, and that is IRC section 25C, and then for this discussion, the clean vehicle tax credit, and that is IRC section 30D relatively important, along with the, the appliance rebates. So, you know, how this is different and what's changed really is that one is the, the length of the program. We finally have a, hopefully what will be a long lasting program. We've had conversation a little bit before the podcast on the fact that, you know, it's, can you plan on this? Um, and, and at least in terms of how the law was signed and the ink is being dried, it's a 10 year program. 
so consumers who buy new electric vehicles can get a tax credit uh, worth $7,500, and it sounds very similar to the prior tax credit, but we also have used vehicles that can qualify up to $4,000. Now, what's really important, we're going to spend time here, is that these tax credits come with some particularly interesting requirements. They're either tied to the consumer or they're going to be tied to the vehicle. And so, you know, as of January 1st, the clock has changed. And even if you bought a vehicle, now this is important, what if I bought a vehicle in the fourth quarter, right? Um, the Inflation Reduction Act was signed. The day after it was signed, that's August 17th, it had to meet one more requirement. And that requirement was assembly had to occur in North America. So... Um that's amazing that you just have all that information. I think we really got the right person here, didn't we? I agree. <laughs> wow, that's I only impressive. caught like a third of that, so. <laughs> uh, we may have to do transcripts of this. That's great. But um, So you mentioned in, in that that this was the first time that the, that, um, the used cars can... That's right. Can, can receive that. So when, when we're talking about the used vehicles, um, can you guide us a little bit and, and let us know what do people need to know to fully utilize that that part of the tax credit where you go out and you buy a used EV vehicle. I think that's a really important point. Um, but even with the new vehicles, Amy, I think the important part is it looks suspiciously like the old EV tax credit. But there's some really important changes. One is that that tax credit was really meant to grow a cottage industry of electric vehicle manufacturing in the U.S., right? We were limited at, once we sold 200,000 vehicles, no longer were you going to be eligible for a tax credit. And also what's really important was the battery size on this. So your base incentive was 2,500 over the under the old rule. And... Um, for, you know, and, and that was up to sort of four kW hour of battery. And then beyond that, you get another $417 per kW uh, hour of capacity uh, to the balance of the, you know, the rest of the money or the $5,000 up to the $7,500 tax credit. So that's how it used to work. So for example, I have a, you know, I have a plug-in. And so my Prius Prime would only be eligible for about 4000 if you had a, you know, if you had a qualifying Nissan Leaf, um, you could be qualified up to the 7,500. So there was some variation over the old rule as of last fall, as of August 17th specifically. It had to be assembled. That vehicle had to be assembled in North America. Now, the change going forward, as I mentioned, we're taking a look at qualifying consumers. So first, in order to be eligible, we'll take a look at your adjusted income. So we want to make sure, you know, one, that you qualify. So in your household, if you're a married couple filing, it's a $300,000 um, adjusted income level that you have to be under. If it's a head of household, $225,000, um, and it's $150,000 for all other filers. So that's your consumer requirement. And then really, the vehicle qualification, you're going to have to have a battery capacity of at least 7 kilowatt hours. The vehicle weight, and that's the same as before, 14,000 pounds. It has to be made by a qualified manufacturer. So we don't have the number of vehicles sold, but a qualified manufacturer, final assembly in North America. And then the other part is the cost of the vehicle. So the cost of the vehicle, you know, the MSRP can exceed 80,000 for 
vans, sport utilities, vehicles, pickup trucks, and then 55,000 for your passenger vehicles. So there's a bunch of requirements. Um, and you know, there's, there's some other components of this. Uh, starting in March, we also take a look at the battery. We look at two aspects. If you want that $7,500 to qualify, half of those will have to meet a critical mineral um, has to be either recycled in the U.S., extracted, or processed in any country that has a free trade agreement with the U.S. Um, and then the battery component for the other half of the 7,500, 50% of those components have to be manufactured or assembled in the U.S. So, huh, right out of the gate, all of a sudden, very complicated. Now, you were asking about the used cars, and this is really a game changer, right? So I think it's super important on the on the new cars. Um, if you buy a qualified electric vehicle uh, from a licensed dealer, and the requirement is the car vehicle cost, once again, there's a cost component, but it has to be $25,000 or less to be eligible. The other thing is that we want to make sure, as we think about it, that you you know, the qualification for the vehicle is that model year has to be at least two years earlier than the calendar date of when you're purchasing it. So we mean used, we, we mean, you know, not kind of near new, but we mean used. Um, and then we've got to make sure that, you know, as we think about it, um, the qualified buyer here, we actually have adjusted down the income requirements. I mentioned $300,000 for married filing joint, if it's a used vehicle, that only could be 150,000. Head of household, 112,000, and all other filers, 75,000. So we basically have the requirement if you're buying a used vehicle. Ooh. I know. <laughs> I know. All I'm sitting here thinking is, okay, if we if, if you didn't have a friend like Terry, ask yeah. <laughs> who are you going to turn to when it's tax time to help you figure this out? Yeah. <laughs> And as it happens, oh I enjoy car shopping. So that's, you know, that's the fun part about this discussion. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of other requirements. So it, you know, what a lot of people heard about was the 7,500 and it feels very familiar to maybe the new EV tax incentives we had in the past, but it's totally different. And then we have this new 4,000, but there are also requirements here as well. And it's really important to understand these. Uh, the good news it's taken a while, but you know, it's funny when we pass new laws, there are always these amazing you know, core civilians that have to interpret those laws. So the IRS and the Treasury Department issued guidance on the clean vehicle tax incentives December 29th. It's out on the website. There's an easy, frequently asked question segment, and that's going to be super helpful. That's excellent because I, I definitely want to make sure we, we're going to put the link to that. If, if you can send us that, uh, we'll put the link to Absolutely. that in the, in the show notes. And, um, you know, I, one of the things that's, I mean, we've already sort of talked about how hard it is to keep it all straight. Um, one thing I, saw, I found funny was that um, the Tesla Model Y, the five-seat edition does not count as an SUV, but the seven-seat does count as an SUV. So... There's some strangeness just between models and, um, you know, I think you did a good job of going ahead. Is it a passenger and, vehicle? Is it an SUV? Because exactly. we have a lot of hybrids in the marketplace. And it's important that you know, because as you will know, the difference is your MSRP will either be the higher level of 80000 
for, to qualify or 55,000. And that's, that's really important, especially with Tesla, right? It's mm -hmm. super important. Yeah, and I was curious about the, I wanted to follow up a little bit on what happens in March. I keep hearing it happens in March, and I'm not sure, is that March 1st or March 31st? I know that just recently Tesla dropped their MSRP so that the five-seater could qualify, but it says you have to take delivery by March. And so I feel like there's some mm -hmm. ambiguity, and, and you, you touched on it a while ago. It's really important to keep this in mind. What we want to do with this podcast and at MTE is be a resource so our, our members make a good, educated decision and and realize what the total cost of ownership is not get into something and misunderstand what kind of savings they could realize so could, for oh, folks absolutely. who have maybe ordered a vehicle and they're going to get it in march how can they verify whether or not it'll qualify yeah right now we're operating without further guidance from the irs and and really the IRS rules very specifically. Remember I mentioned that the $7,500 is really kind of cut in two parts, critical minerals, and then it's really battery um, manufacturing and development and assembly. So there's two different parts to this, right, that are really important with the, the long game for the Biden administration to make sure that we begin to really encourage supply chain landing in the U.S., right? That's going to be really, really important. Um, but right now we're kind of operating in this unusual environment. So Tesla absolutely said, please buy before March because it's at that time that we're going to get more clarity. So more clarity with regard to that battery mineral and components requirement. And it's not going to be finalized until March of this year. We don't know when in March. Once it is, however, you know, that kind of sets a clock because everything, every purchase that occurs after the finalization of those rules will have to meet the guidelines of those rules. So we have a free market in operation right now. Now you still as a consumer have to make, you know, have to meet the, the income requirements. Um, we have a battery size component, a weight for the vehicle and an MSRP. But with regard to the breakdown, which is going to be really important after March, because we're operating in a situation without clarity, it allows us to be able to make those purchases and still qualify, if you will. Um, but once we have the guidelines, it will be very specific. And the onus, now this is important, you know, there's a lot of information, right? The onus is going to be on the manufacturer to actually validate that their vehicle complies with the IRS rules. Not up to you as a consumer. It's up to the manufacturer to say, consumer, you can buy my product um, and qualify for the tax incentive. And that's something I wanted to kind of follow up on as well. The, we definitely want to link people to that IRS site that you shared. Is mm -hmm. I'm assuming that one, though, won't look at specific models. It'll look more at you know the, the, how, to, um, how to apply the tax credits. Is there, a, is there a resource you use for model comparison? That, is there a good one that you're familiar with? That, my friend, has allowed me to web surf for many hours this morning because that was just fun because I, I've, I've done this before. So there is a great website. So the U.S. Department of Energy, the Alternative Fuels Data Center has a vehicle cost calculator. And that's a really fun site. So... You know, I, I, as you know, and we were very proud at CoBank to have uh, the Middle Tennessee um, Volkswagen ID4 in our booth. 
And I spent a lot of time in the ID4, and that's a great vehicle. That is just fun. And you guys had it all gigged out. It was so much fun. But I wanted to compare because I, you know, with a with a calculator, I purchased a Prius Prime. It's a plug-in hybrid EV purchased back in 2019. And I wanted to compare to see, you know, does it make sense with the incentives? What's occurring? Does it make sense for me to buy another vehicle? I want the answer to be yes. So we, so we know where we're headed. And it was really, really fun because my fuel cost, and I'm in the state of Colorado, so it's, it's going to be important, but my fuel cost for that vehicle is roughly $609 compared to the ID4, which is about $539 a year, right? But the total cost calculation, and that's for 15 years of um, ownership. Now that's typically a little longer than most people own a vehicle, but you know, we're, we're average is sort of 12 years, but 15 years, I would save 12 to $14,000 by not buying the Volkswagen. So keep in my Prius. Um, so the total cost for the Prius is about 68,000 for the entire 15 years compared to the ID4, which comes in at 82,000. But that was disappointing news. I couldn't stop there, right? Work is not yet done. Keep on the calculator. So then I took a look at you know the Edmunds website, and I'm looking at low entry price points for electric vehicles and began to sort of build out my eight vehicle graphs. So that's how many you can actually graph at the same time to take a look at the cost comparison. And so, you know, I I, I took a look at lower costs, the Nissan Leaf, um, the Chevy Bolt has two different vehicle classes. The EUV, it's a slightly longer than their base model of their Chevy Bolt. Um, but the interesting thing is the Bolt is the absolute lowest. So that's coming in around 59000 if I'm operating it in uh, in Colorado. Nissan Leaf's a little higher at about 64000 And then I said, well, you know, if, if if I really, you know, maybe I'll get a little bigger. I like that. The, uh, the Hyundai Kona, that's a great all-wheel drive, you know, a lot of, it's won a lot of awards. That's an interesting one. So the 15-year the, um, cost there is only slightly higher. It's a better ride than my, my Prius Prime. It's about $70,000. And so um, and that compares to like an ID4 that'll come in around $82,000 for the entire cost. So this is a really fun website. And it's important to understand that it's, it's going to take in account, remember I'm comparing um, a Prius Prime that's a plug-in hybrid, but you can also take a look at in, in, you know um, internal combustion engines, so a gasoline-fueled passenger vehicle, and make that comparison. So they're going to account for the annual fuel and electricity costs of the state you're in, kind of the average for the state. Um, but they'll also account for the maintenance, tires, insurance, license, registration, and that's all coming from AAA. So it's a great cost comparison, but That's literally, awesome. thank you, Brandon, hours of time on that site. <laughs> well, we're glad you did. And I appreciate you sharing it so that we can take advantage of your, your hard work. We're going to take a quick break from the podcast so I can let you know about Middle Tennessee Electric's EV Ready program. This program gives a $50 credit to Middle Tennessee Electric members who have installed or are in the process of installing a level two charger in their home. For more information on this program, go to mte.com forward slash drive EV. Now back to the podcast. Uh, well, Terry, so I wanted to ask you a kind of a little more details on the, the components of the battery and the critical, the critical components and the battery chemistry. 
that seems the most complex for me to to keep in mind. And you know, this year it's fifty percent. Next year it's sixty percent. And I mean, it just it changes. So um, that's that's not an easy one to for a consumer to go out and figure out. But part of me wonders too right. when when I hear fifty percent is that. 50% of the weight or 50% of the volume or so can you give us a little more detail something that a consumer would need to be aware of and how, how can they verify that the, the, their car meets that qualification? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? So I, I think one, we're operating in this, uh, this zone where we're, we're all trying to figure that part out. And the good news is until we have IRS clarification, then we simply, until it's defined exactly what we have to do, we have that opportunity to, to still, um, we'll still qualify for the, the taxes that I've purchased now. But starting in March, once we have the, the clarification, you know, there are relatively complex provisions that are going to govern the battery component. So 40% of battery minerals, remember the critical minerals will have to come from North America or, this is important, a country that the U.S. has a free trade agreement with or be recycled in North America. Now, that threshold will rise from 40% upward to 80%, right? So we're, um, it's really intended to make sure that we're doing the work and sourcing locally in, in the U.S. And then the other part to meet that other half to, to qualify is 50% of the battery parts will have to be made or assembled in North America and it eventually rises to 100%. So, you know, there's also this requirement starting in 2025, a little add-on, the battery minerals cannot come from a foreign entity of concern. It's largely China and Russia. The battery parts cannot be sourced in those countries starting in 2024. And, um, you know, it's a little bit troublesome because so much of those metals are currently coming from China. So that's a, that's a real hurdle for us. Um, you know, once the guidance is issued in March, now this is important for buyers, it's the vehicle manufacturers that are going to be required to certify whether their vehicles meet the critical mineral and battery component requirements. So you're going to have to look to your manufacturer here and they'll have to certify that the vehicle you have purchased actually qualifies. Okay. Well, that's, that's helpful. That's helpful, and I know Amy's going to have a question about you know what when you do file what what you need from them. But before we get there, I, I also wanted to ask you uh, to talk a little bit more about. You mentioned that the the Inflation Reduction Act was signed in August, and right. if you bought a vehicle in quarter three of twenty twenty two, tell us a little bit more about what you need to keep in mind because there'll there'll certainly be some listeners who are going to be filing their taxes this year that fit in that category and are probably trying right. to make sense of that. So can you give us a little guidance for them? Yeah. And, and really the only new requirement, if they meet these, you know, longstanding requirements is to make sure that the vehicle was assembled in North America. So it's another requirement, but we didn't completely change the the roadway in terms of getting that tax incentive. So the 2022, the only change is if it happened the day after, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act was signed into law, then there is that new requirement. Okay. And what I'm, what's coming to mind is that there was a few of our members who I know 
had ordered um, a Volkswagen ID4. And at mm -hmm. the time, right around that time, they were still coming from Germany. And mm -hmm. I remember hearing from several folks that as soon as it had been signed, they got a notice saying, uh, we're going to delay your delivery because you're going to get a one made it from our Chattanooga plant. And there was some thought that it was because of this exact topic. Is that That's exactly right. Okay. Because the day after, um, you know, with the, it, the, when the contract was signed was super important because, you know, the, the contract being signed and taking delivery, these are important aspects of when they sort of take hold. But if it was after the law, you know, became the law of the land, then unfortunately that North American assembly um, provision is required. And once again, the manufacturers have been pretty good with alerting us, you know, and keeping on top of that. In fact, even the complicated battery requirements, both GM and Tesla you know, they already have most of the EVs assembled in North America, but the battery requirement, um, you know, they're, they're staying on top. And in fact, GM has said that it's eligible EV should qualify uh, for the credit by, by March with full credit available. Um, so it'll have its entire footprint by 2025. So the manufacturers are staying on top. But that's exactly what happened there. Okay. Well, that's, and I, I feel like I'm dominating all the questions here, but I have one more for you. Um, sure. And, and before I get there, I, you know, one of the things that we're we're hearing in the Tennessee is we're we're becoming the the EV state, and we just recently had an That's announcement right. that LG is going to be building a plant in Clarksville, which is very close to our service territory, that will will create um, cathodes for batteries. So, and I know it's part of the I think it's part of the Cadillac Lyric to help meet some of these. So it's it's neat to see um, manufacturing coming to the states and. Uh, so la last one, and before I turn it over to Amy, um, you mentioned to us that there is a $1,000 tax incentive for a home charger under the IRA. Right, right. So, you know, there's a lot in, so we really do have to spend time in understanding, you know, three major tax changes, um, including the clean vehicle tax incentive, but there are also a bunch of rebates and an interesting one uh, that is, you know, that is important because it used to be if you filed your taxes, you'd be able to claim your vehicle charger, but that expired in December 2021. Um, so now if you, you know, after August 16th, if you'd installed a vehicle charger at home, um, you once again have 30% upward to $1,000 that you can take off on your taxes. Uh, so it's another incentive that was part of the Inflation Reduction Act to really encourage electrification of the transportation segment. So that kind of, I guess, um, leads kind of into my next question as we're talking about filing your taxes. So for those who are filing taxes right now for 2022 and bought a vehicle last year, is there anything they need to keep in mind? Um, I know you just mentioned the the charger after August, but is there anything else? and? Are they affected by the new legislation or does that only kick in for 2023? Yeah, so for the new clean vehicle credits, you're going to file form 8936. So um, once again, we're going to make sure that that, that information is going to be under the you know frequently asked questions. But what you have to do, um, the, the real change here is going to be for the used clean vehicle credit. It's a little bit more required there. 
So when you file that form with your tax return for the year you took possession of the vehicle, um, you know, what you'll need to include is going to be the, the VIN number on the form, and there's some additional details to make sure it qualifies under the used clean car vehicle credit. That's the, it's a little bit more challenging, same form, a little bit more detail required for the, for the used clean vehicle credit. Um, and then otherwise, you know, the, the requirements for 2022, it depends on really important is when you've taken possession of the vehicle, you know, the purchase and taking possession are really relatively important in terms of the claim, and it's really around the North America Assembly. So following the Inflation Reduction Act being signed into law, it has to be completely assembled in North America. That's the only new requirement there. And then as of this year, if you buy it before March, um, there's some new requirements that most important is going to be you as a consumer have got to meet the income requirements. There's some vehicle requirements. And as we mentioned, the battery requirements, we're going to get more guidance from the IRS in March. But until then, um, your manufacturer is going to be kind of on the hook to let, let you know that they do satisfy those requirements. So if someone goes out this year and, and purchases a car, you know, it's, and my thought is, you know, have you have you a little tax credit folder that day you buy your car and start filling that up so when next April comes, you're not scurrying around trying to find, you know, all this information. So w- with that in mind, um, when, yep. it, when it comes time to file, uh, what does someone need to have proof of, you know, to proof of their purchase, delivery date, qualifications? You know, what are the things that when you purchase that, go on and gather, go on and keep in that folder so it, when it comes time next year to file your taxes, it's all right there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think making sure the income qualifications, so that's an important first gating point. If it's important to you, make sure that you qualify first as a consumer that's eligible for that tax credit. And then the easy one is just the MSRP. Does your MSRP, is it a passenger vehicle lower than 55000 if it's an SUV truck or van, you've got that higher level of 80,000, so that qualification. Uh, size of the battery, says the car, um, the battery components, uh, and the critical minerals. We'll get later clarification on, on this. But once again, as I mentioned, it's really going to be down, and, and this is helpful because the bottom line is it's really, you know, the, the manufacturer is going to be on the hook to certify that vehicle. So, um, so it makes it a little easier. But I, I do think, you know, for consumers, this is an important um, upfront cash incentive. And, and the cash incentive actually only gets better in 2024 because we will have the ability to do point of sale reduction. So I, I think that's, you know, we, we have some, some opportunities there. You, you literally just led yourself into my last question. <laughs> so um, that's great. So, um, you know, now that... Now we've taken care of 2023, let's look into the future. And uh, like you said, there's been some talk about uh, credits becoming transferable to the dealer and in effect becoming a point of sale reduction. Um, Can you tell us a little bit of what that looks like, um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, one of the challenges, uh, you know, also if you're a tax-exempt entity, so you don't pay taxes, right? Um, You know, or maybe you don't pay enough taxes, so it's a real challenge with using these large tax incentives. And so 
what's occurred in the past is that the seller, um, or through lease, it'll accrue to the seller, the tax incentive. Um, and that's one way that was sort of in the past. But the wonderful the wonderful change that I think is, is coming is that it's going to become transferable at the point of sale. And so the interesting thing is um, you can actually apply that tax incentive upfront um, at the point of sale. And that could be a really important, you know, as part of a purchase decision for that vehicle. So it's qualified dealers, um, but it will be uh, at point of sale. So that's going to be coming down uh, the line and, and that could be a real game changer. So you don't have to wait for your tax filing. You do it at the point of sale. I have a weird question on that is um, do, what happens to the income requirements then? Do they go away because, or does the, I mean, I guess if somebody. It's going to create some, <laughs> you know, it's going to create, it's, it's that kind of conversation you didn't expect to have with your dealer salesperson on the lot, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's going to create some oddities. Uh, because there is an income requirement. So, you know, we don't have guidance on how the point of sale is actually going to work. And I think it's, you know, another, you know, a, another reason we just have to kind of stay alert of how those changes, which is why it's being pushed out. But it could be a very interesting conversation. Um, so maybe not unlike the conversation you typically have if you're financing a, a vehicle, you know, but it's, it's going to be a much more, um, comprehensive conversation you're going to have with your your dealer salesperson. Terry, I have two very short questions. And I think people that listen to this podcast know it takes me a little while to, for things to seep in. So just I just want to make sure. So if, if somebody's filing, they fill out the form, they don't get like a, some like you get from your employer saying this is your your taxable whatever you, that that is more like on the audit side right if I'm audited then I've got to show the proof of purchase and all that am I am I thinking about that correct? That's how I would think about it. Um, the interesting thing too is that there's a little bit of flexibility. So what if I earn more in one year rather than another year, and we're looking kind of at a two adjacent year period. Uh, so there is some flexibility in terms of, you know, all of a sudden if you get this, you know, great raise and it bumps you above. So there is some flexibility in terms of how they look at the income requirements. Um, and so I think part of it is that, you know, if you've ever gone through an audit, it's it's great to be prepared, you know, be ready. But you're you're right. That's typically what we find through an audit. It right. would be an audit exception for sure. And the last question I've got is everybody that I talk to, I think sort of, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people forget that uh, this is not just battery EV vehicles, right? There, this does apply to hybrids. You, you yourself, you have an, a hybrid. If there's folks listening that are thinking about a hybrid, what do they need to keep in mind? I mean, they, they don't need to just forget about this, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the... Um, you're, you are going to look at a battery you know, requirement, as I, as I mentioned. That's, that's going to be an important part of this, but you know, it's, it's a pretty easy requirement. So the battery capacity has to be at least 7 kilowatt hours. And so you 
now have opened the floor to a lot of other vehicles that would actually qualify that are plug-in that may be a hybrid. So absolutely. Okay. I just got, I thought just last one, sorry. Yeah. In 2022, before the Inflation Reduction Act, I don't think there was a limit on how many tax credits somebody could get. I mean, it was really limited to, I guess, their tax appetite. But I, I understand that this time, if you harvest a tax credit, you, there's a waiting period before you can get another one. Is that correct? Yeah, and also on those used vehicles as well. Um, so there, there is, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, there, there are some limitations on on these because they don't want it to be, you know, a fleet. Um, you know, there's there's also some funny requirements too about, you know, the vehicle will pre- predominantly be driven in the U.S. So there are a couple of these that you just have to, you know, take a look at the frequently asked questions and you'll see there, there are a lot more requirements that are attached to these incentives, but the incentives are, are truly a game changer. And they're pretty rich incentives. So it's worth doing your homework because the end result is you're going to get a lower, you know, your lower cost vehicle, maybe at the point of sale. And over the time, you know, that savings can accrue. Um, I think that that's the end of our questions, but is there anything that you feel like our listeners need to know that maybe we have, we haven't thought to touch on? Um, You're just, you're just such a, such a wealth of knowledge. I don't know that I'm ready to let you go. So um, is there anything else that you think is important as we're uh, navigating all this for this coming year? No, you know, I, I think this is an exciting period. I think especially as we think about used car sales, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of incentive for people that may not have thought about electric vehicles to now begin to think about them seriously. And I think that's going to be meaningful in terms of the conversations as cooperatives we need to have with our members, because there could be members that we wouldn't think would ever adopt an electric vehicle that may actually adopt an electric vehicle because of the changes we're seeing in these incentives. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I I, I feel like Oh my goodness! I almost feel like I've been in a, a class or something. I've learned so much. This has been this has been great. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our listeners, um, you know, I, I think this may be one they might want to listen to more than one time to make sure that you don't miss anything. I mean, there's a, so much valuable information, and and I'm wondering, Brandon, if if we don't need to make this uh, visit with Terry maybe a yearly thing. You know, as, as this is you know ever changing, it might be good to circle back with you around tax time every year and, and make sure that, that our listeners can can take advantage of your knowledge and understand what's going on. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, guys. For more information on Middle Tennessee Electric's Drive EV program or the EV Car Club, go to driveev.com. Or if you have any questions or comments for us, please email us at evcarclub at mte.com. Until next time, plug in, power up, and drive safe. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you have any ideas of topics you would like for us to discuss, please email us at driveev at mte.com. Thanks for listening.